I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. The gap is widening at the top of the SBFL table. Celtic are seven points clear as we near closer to the World Cup break. They beat Dundee United 4-2 at the weekend. Syed Haksabanovic getting his first goals. Goals, plural, two always come at once when you have a, a sort of a deadlock that Syed had over the last couple of weeks. And they play Motherwell tomorrow night with just one more game remaining after that before we take a break for the World Cup in Qatar. We're one man short on the huddle breakdown this evening, but we will be doing a second episode this week where we will have the full deck of cards. But I'm delighted to say that Alan Morrison is... Fresh after a little trip away and back with us as we look back at the Dundee United win and look ahead to the Motherwell game tomorrow night as well. Alan, thanks for joining me. How are you? Yeah, all right. And apologies. I uh, didn't know we were doing a show today, so I didn't shave. So sorry about that. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, the, the rumor is that the reason James isn't here is he's been called up to the American World Cup squad. So uh, I don't know if that's true <laughs> or not, but you know. <laughs> he's on we'll the uh, preliminary squad, isn't he? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> They'll do anything not to pick Pulisic anymore, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, look, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a show. We didn't get a chance to do one last week because of the sort of different schedules that we've been on over the last number of weeks. And we didn't look back at the Real Madrid game. I think we're just going to park that. We're going to leave that in the past and, and leave the Champions League behind us because we do have a, a win to look back at. And that is 4-2 against Dundee United. It was looking hairy enough before the last couple of minutes when Kyogo and Abada stepped up and uh, left a rather flattering scoreline, I guess, 4-2. Uh, probably didn't reflect the overall structure of the game or how it looked like it was going to end before the, the final f- few minutes. But I was watching this in a hotel room on a pretty awful stream, but from what I could take from it in general, it was not a classic. We are very much at the point now of... We're almost a month of he- ahead of schedule. We know the World Cup is coming up now soon, so we're compacting all these games together. These are usually the games that you get on the 21st or the 19th of December. These are games that you know Celtic don't play all that well, but genu- generally get the result. And that seemed to be the same sort of performance that we got. It was a December-style performance from Celtic, I thought. Yeah, I mean, normally we end up playing, I think, at least nine games in December, usually. So um, it has been a kind of con- con- contracted sort of period. There's a lot of factors. Um, 
seven changes. And I know we've been changing the team quite a lot recently, but seven is quite a lot of changes, to be honest. So that that probably had a little bit. And it's certainly the attacking fluidity was was sadly lacking, especially in the first half, I thought. Um, other thing is, as well, is if you've beaten a team 9-0 um, and, they, and then you play them again, they're, they're, they're hell-bent on ensuring that doesn't happen again, right? So, um, you know, they were, they were always going to be set up. And in fact, they're sort of mid-block, they're sort of two, two sort of five, three sort of mid-block mid was reasonably uh, effective. But um, I think we suffered from a lot of... Um, maybe tired bodies, tired minds ourselves, despite the changes the players have had a lot of football combination of either just that fluidity and, and continuity not being there and, and, and tired minds and bodies because what was lacking was that movement up front and then you know we, we were, the centre-backs were playing the ball very safe so in the first half I think it was the 45th minute before Carter Vickers tried to play quite a difficult sort of long ball into the box. Neither centre-back had given the ball away in the whole of the first half before that. So so that suggests a lack of risk in the passing. Um, And we could see O'Reilly getting frustrated. We didn't think there was enough options uh, further forward. I don't think, and I don't want to pick on David Turnbull because I don't think it was just just him, but in particular, he's not somebody that gives you that um, uh, very well. Um, a lot of a lot of the effort in the game in terms of the dirty side of it, the pressing, the counter pressing, again fell to O'Reilly and Hitati. And given that they've they've you know both of them nearly had ninety minutes and chasing Modric and Cruz around the Bernabeu, or or more or, or more more pertinently chasing Asensio and Valverde around mm-hmm. the Bernabeu, um, that was I think probably quite a tough shift for them as well. So I'm not making excuses for anyone. I think it's just I think it was just a very Difficult. I think it was, you know, it's like always. There's a combination of factors that I think go into it not being a particularly fluid performance. I would say. Yeah, the changes definitely do impact on the the flow of the team and how they sort of play together. Because, I mean, th- this was David Turnbull's first real proper number of minutes for a good few weeks, so he's probably not up to to speed with what everyone else is doing, except especially O'Reilly, who's been playing pretty much every single game so far this season. In in terms of the overall structure of the team, it was pointed out to me by someone on Twitter, which I thought was a very good point, was that if you look at the way that... Oh, just focusing on the wingers, I guess, with um, Ralston at right-back, Bernabe at left-back, Haksibanovic and Jota as the, the two front wingers then, Haksibanovic and Jota are very similar players. They're very on-the-ball um, high number of, I guess, chances created from them, all the ball going through them, dribbles, shots, crosses, it's all action sort of wingers. And then a, a right back and left back, you've got uh, fullbacks who like to swing the ball in as well and get crosses into the box rather than potentially being like Greg Taylor and Juranovic where they're more inverted on the ball, playing through the middle sort of thing. Celtic have a, a wide variety of players now, but it seemed that we didn't have enough variety in the mix that we put on the pitch, if you get me. So we had Haksibanovic and Jota. Both were excellent, I thought, uh, for large parts of the first half, but they're very similar players. And Giacomacchus doesn't give you much in behind either. So I guess that's why we see Abada being a player that gets in behind. Maeda gets, a, gets in behind the defense. Kyogo as well when he got in. Sometimes you just need that one player up front that is different from the rest of the team. 
Yeah, no, so I, yeah, I never really thought of that. I mean, I actually struggled to get the ball to Haksabanovic in the first half. He didn't actually, considering he scored two goals, he didn't actually touch the ball. Uh, and yeah, I, I think you're right what you say about him and Jota, and I think they're both high volume players. Um, but he, but we didn't get we couldn't get the ball to him, uh, and that was despite Ralston being um, one of the better performers in the in the game. Um, Jota actually was pretty effective in that first half. He got on the ball a lot. It, it was his usual mix of of um, creativity and trying things that don't come off and and so forth. So I, I don't I don't know I don't know if it was one thing. Like I say, I just felt I felt I felt it was right to go wide um, because of obviously they packed the middle with they packed the midfield. They'd got two players crowding the centre up front as well, and they got three centre backs. So it was absolutely the right thing to do to try and go to go wide. We didn't get a lot of crosses in either. Um, as I say, we just seem to rotate the ball around the, the, the back a lot. And that's not just the fault of the players that are doing that. It's the fault of the people in front of them if they're not, if they're not making themselves wide open. I mean, another factor is that, you know, we started well, obviously got an early goal. And then I know you don't like to talk about decisions, but I do think that penalty spooked the team in some way. Mm. I did, I don't, and, 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 and it was such a bewildering decision that um, I did think it had a sort of effect on them. And then the game went into a lull. I mean, for a start, there was a, a number of stoppages, and uh, there was a long. I think the, it was the eighth minute, almost immediately after Celtic's goal, that the the the, 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 the ball was lumped into the box, and Bernabe was supposed to have handled it. It was about the twelfth minute by the time that the penalty was taken. Mm-hmm. There was then another long delay um, when the goalkeeper was injured by his own player, um, and he went down. Then there was another long delay when they were checking for a. Something else, I think, a a, a, a foul by uh, on Jakimakis. There was these big long delays, and and this far, I, I can see why Postecoglou's exasperated by it because it just sort of kills the momentum of the team. Celtic want to play quickly; they want to unsettle the opposition; they want to tire them out both mentally and physically by getting the ball recycled quickly by moving it quickly. And these big long gaps, I don't think, are, are helping either. Um, and I think I think Bernabe in particular personally looked really rattled uh, and genuinely upset by the penalty decision. And it was interesting that it was taken off at half time because I know I noticed they started to target him and started to bash into him a bit as the half wore on, mm-hmm. and he was getting he was getting more and more sort of frustrated. Um, and uh, so I think well, to take, take him off might have been might be wise because it wasn't like he was having a particularly terrible game or anything. Yeah, well, the key point on that is that he got booked. For the well, I don't know if he got booked for the handball because I don't think you can get booked via VAR. He but did. I think he got booked he did. for his. He did. He, he did, did get booked, but I don't think it was for the handball. If you know what oh, I mean, right, okay. so he didn't okay. get booked for a deliberate handball. I think he got booked for his protest, protestants, rather than his his you know quote unquote handball. I mean, I I think that is more interesting discussion than discussing whether or not that was a handball because I think everybody's going to come out with, well, obviously not. He wasn't even looking at the ball when it went over and his hand is you know his hand is where it is and these are the decisions that we've seen for over well over a year in world football now outside of Scotland that are just bewildering because it all comes down to subjectivity still comes down to the the decisions based on the the referees who are already getting the decisions wrong in the first place so but the the stoppages I actually kind of monitored this it took about 61 minutes to finish off off the first half of football. Hmm. And that that is a key element of what Ange is trying to do at Celtic is even with down to the ball boys, get the ball back into play as quickly as possible. 
with all these stoppages do have an impact on a team like Celtic who are trying to just go at the opposition almost all the time and 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 keep them uh, pressed in and keep the momentum going and I definitely do think that that does impact a, a team like Celtic. So, yeah, the the handball decision. I mean, we're going to see them. That's that's the issue. They're going to happen across the well, course of the season. That's fine as long as it, you know they're equally divided out as to who gets the terrible but decisions. They, I I think we know they won't be. So I mean, just so here's a, here's a sneak preview, hot off the press, just just for the people watching today. So the Yorkshire Whistler has got back to me on that one. I've not published the article yet, but. He, he, the word he used was baffling. Now, if, for those of you that are following the uh, the Honest Mistake series on, on the Celtic by Numbers site, baffling would be probably James's equivalent of going absolutely fucking apeshit, right? So baffling is like, you know, quite extreme for him in terms of a reaction. He just couldn't understand why they would even look at it. Um, I think it's just, I think it's probably a bit unfortunate that, you know, Celtic have been on the, been on the end of a lot of, of these poor bad handball decisions in Europe in midweek and obviously the one at Hearts and then this one um, you know in a very short period of time which seems like you'd like to think that will even itself out a little bit as the season goes on because um, you know we got one at Livingston which again I thought was harsh because just because of the proximity of the player to the ball but his hand was kind of up in the air um, but what was what was just, again worrying for me, and 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 not you know for, for for the reasons I've talked about before, is the fact that the same referee that didn't think the the Smith handball at Hearts was a penalty is the same one that thought that the one uh, by uh, Burnaby was. And when when as I say, when you when you take into account that that person you know essentially has a has an economic monetary arrangement with, with Rangers, you have to think well. I'm not saying he's a f- supporter. I'm just saying there's doubt. You're putting this guy in an impossible situation um, mm. because because of that doubt, and and therefore you know it's going to obviously be scrutinised in that in that way. And that that's not fair on him because he's got his own personal and professional integrity that he wants to protect as well. So I just think again, it comes back to you've got to trust the process. Now you'll get you'll still get some wrong, as I've said. We even if you had verifiably neutral referees and verifiable referees that verifiably didn't have conflict of interest, you would still get terrible decisions. But we I think we could all live with that if you remove that that doubt about the you know the 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 veracity and the the, the you know um con- whether the referees are actually conflicted or not in terms of their their assignments. Mm-hmm. Well I think the key key point for me came from Ange after the game and it's where I've stood on VAR for a good half a year now at this point and that is it makes it a worse experience for the fans in the stadium who are paying to go to these games I mean it it makes some odds to me watching it on TV but if I was a paying match match going fan every single week I have to stand there in the cold while a referee looks at a screen for six minutes to figure out whether or not you know Bernabe's hand is in an unnatural position I'd be really pissed off and it it, it makes it a worse spectator sport and this is a spectator sport. It it is a sport as uh, that famous uh, saying goes. It is a, a sport that is absolutely nothing without the people that is watching it. So, I I, I think we're going to reach a boiling point with VAR in the next year and a half. And that well, it, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it'll take time. Listen, I mean, you know, it's only just been introduced here, so you, you've got to allow a certain number of problems to iron themselves out. Again, it doesn't have to be that way, right? 
I, st I still think you, you've got to give uh, people the best opportunity to get to the right decision. And if that means a bit of technology, that's fine. But what you've got to get right is the human process around the technology. And I don't know why we don't go down the road of copying uh, rugby where the, you know, the referee and the VAR are mic'd up, it's piped into the stadium, the people can hear the conversation and that has that, that's, there's a full transparency about what is being asked, what is being asked to look at, on what basis, and, and, and what is the evidence that's being presented and why you've reached the decision. And if, that, if the people in the stadium can see that, because we on, we on the TV can see, can see that to some extent, um, but um, it would be great if people in the stadium could see that. And then it's, it's fully transparent then. And again, you're not going to be happy with all the decisions, all right? That's still going to be the case. But at least you'll understand why they came to the decision that they did. And I think it's that mm. aspect of it that leaves room for doubt, it leaves room for um, you know, conspiracy theories, it leaves room for all sorts of nonsense. And, and really what we want to do is make it as transparent as possible for the referees on, on sake of nothing else. Mm -hmm. The final point we'll make on this is the Jack and Macus incident. There was a high challenge on him that was looked at by VAR. The referee now, key point on this, the referee didn't bother to go look at his screen. Um, now he's advised by the VAR whether he should go and look at it. So it really comes down to that. But I think my key point on this is the referee didn't even give a foul in the first place for what was a high foot. Now, both players did have similar enough foot positions, but one player did catch the other player on the thigh with their studs. So it's a foul regardless. But the key point on it is that because the referee didn't give a foul, they only checked for a red card. Now, VAR can only make a decision on things that they are checking. So he could only check for a red card. So that meant the Dundee United player couldn't even be booked for the challenge. Even if mm. the referee deemed it to be a malicious tackle, if it wasn't meriting a red card in his eyes, then it's nothing. So he got a free shot at Jack Marcus's thigh with a high foot and absolutely nothing, nothing was done. And that, that for me is where the problems come in with referees in Scotland. It's not incredulous handballs. It's not, you know, certain teams getting more penalties. It's not penalties given, being given against Celtic that we disagree with. It's players getting hurt by these challenges that referees just blatantly ignore. And the physicality of Scotland is different to world football. Some leagues are more physical than others. Uh, Scotland has certainly remained a little bit more old school when it comes to letting the game flow. But when it comes to players getting hurt, Giacomacus could have been injured seriously by that challenge and it wasn't even given as a foul. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it all comes back to the question of consistency because similarly, something that Celtic, well, because I only watch Celtic games really that I've noticed is, you know, the number of times that a six foot three centre half goes down when a player hasn't even touched him and, and, and immediately is a free kick. And that, that's happened so many times in the last few weeks. I mean, Kingsley of Hearts was just, I think, did it four times, Cochrane three times, um, you know. And, and, and so, yeah, on the one hand, Scottish, Scottish football, they'll let too much go in terms of, you know, really aggressive challenges. And on the other hand, we seem to be out of kilter with the way that a lot of the world was going. I think after the last Euros, where they they really did start to be cracked down on those sort of soft fouls where players go down where they feel the slightest contact and they go down. Um, it, you know, it has to be something that's a bit more a bit more obvious, but that seems to be very inconsistently applied in Scotland, let's go say. Mm -hmm. Right, let's move on from the referee chat. So there was a game that went on amongst these refereeing decisions. There was a few hairy moments at the end where Celtic looked a little bit ragged at the back, um, especially when Dundee had Dundee United had their tails up and 
you know, the first goal is sort of lucky. I think, you know, that's what happens. That's it was, I, yes, I have to give them a little bit of credit to, I think it was Stephen Fletcher made the run across that kind of got in the way of Hearts Island. I'm not sure you can do much about that. But uh, I, I guess this is the ethos that keeps coming back to this side is that they keep on going regardless of what the scoreline is and they will eventually uh, get their just goods. It, was it something that Celtic changed that sort of got their their tails going again and, and won this game eventually? Or was it just the fact that they were, they've got better players on the pitch that were fitter and were able to go for longer. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is it is more or less that that you know, as we've said before that if you've got five substitutions you can make, and although we had to probably you know sacrifice Burnaby in terms of the way the game was going for him, um, you know, four four attacking substitutions and the, and, the, and the relative quality compared to what Dundee United can do, um, you know, they're generally going to be reducing the quality of their team, um, you know, by by making substitutions. And Celtic are well, apart from Dylan Levitt, who's probably the best midfielder, uh, came on. But um, you know, Celtic can can like for like, or or certainly change the dynamic. So you get you know more pressing, more energy from from Maeda, Kyogo when when they came on, um, and uh, obviously Abada, who had I think had had an excellent fifty minutes in the Bernabeu against Real Madrid, and then got really tired and had to be taken off after about sixty minutes. Um, you know, he, he's he's. I think um, he, he's slowly getting his confidence to take players on, be more direct. His finish for his goal was just exquisite. So I think it's, it was just that that quality um, that the teams can't live with in terms of the number of changes you can make, um, and and therefore and the number of different number of different challenges you can set the, the other team. Because usually, a lot oftentimes you'll see when Celtic make their changes, um, they do get on top quite quickly because it's a whole new set of movements and you set of positions people making different runs you kind of get into a routine over a game of, of 60 minutes you you know yourself you get used to where people are running to you get used to which foot they take it on and all that sort of thing so yeah i think i think that 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 whereas i think you know as i said var is 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 being disruptive for celtic in in, in for many reasons mm-hmm. mainly the flow of the game actually um the substitute law is is, is a huge advantage i think Mm-hmm. Especially for the bigger sides that have mm-hmm. yeah. these players at their disposal. On about it, before we move on to other matters, I, I've never really came across a young player like him, whereby he can actually he can be genuinely awful at times at certain aspects of the game. But when it comes to picking a player in the Celtic side on a, in a one-on-one situation or a a player who I want in the box getting on the ball with an opportunity. I think Abad is probably number one, if not two, within that Celtic attacking line because he's just incredibly clinical. And you don't that's something that usually you would say that's something that would come. It, it's usually the other aspects that a young player is good at, like the dribbling, the taking on players, being exciting. And then it's usually the end product that they have to add. Is it a positive thing for Abada here that it's actually the 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 latter, the opposite uh, with him that he has all of the end product, and he just needs to add one or two little uh, bits of dynamic uh, gameplay to his uh, sort of attacking arsenal, if you want to use that phrase. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to, to decision making, and I think that you know, the, almost the closer he gets to goal, the better his decision making becomes. The further away from goal he is, the worse his decision making comes in terms of linking play, you know, making the right run run at the right time. Um, when to release the pass and so forth. But when you get him in the box, 
he makes he makes great decisions. There is nobody in Scotland that has a higher expected goals plus expected assists than he does. He's he's, he's averaging one point two one goals and expected goals and expected assists per ninety minutes. For context, the next highest in the Celtic team would be Kyogo at one at just over one, and then Jakimakis is point seven two, and um, then you've got Forrest is point seven two as well, and then you've got you know the, the likes of. Um, you know, Jota, Jota's numbers, uh, 0.886 actually, so that's pretty good as well. But 1.21, I mean, is, is, I know it's, a, it's only 500 and something minutes that he's played. But I mean, he was he was around about one last season on, on a full season. So this is a, this is a guy that whatever he, whatever you might think about some of his poor decisions and his poor execution, has got an incredibly high, uh, you know, productivity rate in terms of creating chances and, and, and taking shots. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, and his goal and assist record is it backs it up as well. So there's something he's got something he's got something very special. Uh, and I think you know if he's coachable, I still think you know there's an outstanding player there. Uh, it's just that, as I say, it's the way I the way I would sort of characterize it is just I think that the further he is from goal, almost the worse his decisions become. But he really sharpens up once he gets nearer nearer to goal. One point two one xg. Per ninety so, minutes this year, is it? So, so, so it's it's expected scoring contribution. So okay, scoring, so that's not it's, so, not it's it's not just the goals. So he has. So I'm trying to figure out whether he's overperforming or or underperforming on his xG so far. So, so he'll, he'll, seven be, he'll, goals, he'll be two he'll assists be under, in the league this year. Yeah, so he's at the moment he's uh, his scoring contribution. He's actually bang on. His scoring contribution in the league is one point two goals and assists per ninety minutes, which is probably the highest in the league. Uh, but is expected. Scoring contribution, expected goals plus expected assists is one point two one. So it's almost identical. So uh, okay. you know, not, not a surprise. So what what that tells to me is that while we have players like Haksabanovic and Jota, that maybe it's not the best idea to play both of them at the same time and have the sort of the the tree of a mix in the front line where you have Jota and all of his his massive amount of sort of volume in what he's trying to do. You get your best striker, be that a bad or be that Jackamacus or Kyogo in the middle. And then you have a bad in there to be in the box and be that threat. Yeah. I don't think there's a, a right answer. I mean, I, I, I was thinking uh, the other day that, you know, with Jota and Aksabandji, which potentially be the most, um, the best sort of attacking Threat, but you know we saw on on, uh, on the weekend that you know it didn't it didn't really click. Uh, I know Axelander which got two goals, Jota got an assist, but they, they, we couldn't get them on the ball as much. And it's not just their fault, as I say. It's, it's a it's a team. It's thing. a midfield as well. Yeah, it's a midfield. It's it's the speed of passing, speed of thought, but it's the movement off the ball and all all these things. And the, it tends to be a, a symptom of tiredness and just general sort of fatigue across the team. But so I, I, I think the answer, you know, the question. Which is the two? Which is the best wing combination? I think is a is, a, is an open question. I don't know. I'd have to mm-hmm. go away and think about that. We've probably not seen that high a sample of all of the different combinations uh, that you could possibly have yet. Um, and I still wonder if it's an area where we might see some uh, some sort of movement because you know Maeda hasn't been in great form and yet he's still chipped in with a few goals. He's got a lot of a lot of assists as well. Um, Abada, again, you know, people sort of complaining about him, but as I say, he's got the highest scoring expected scoring contribution and scoring contribution um, of, of any player in Scotland in the league. So, 
these are nice problems to have, I think, is, a, is how yeah. I'd conclude it. Yeah. If we were playing a video game, if this was Football Manager, I'd probably go with my front three, but life is not a Football, football Manager simulation. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll keep going. There's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about that aren't really specific to on the field, although they definitely correlate to on the field. The Celtic AGM was last Friday, I think, or last week anyway it happened. And Ange was asked about how to improve the club or how Celtic are going to improve the club. And he said that uh, they need to be more active in the transfer market. This will be uncomfortable for some. I know fans live to have their heroes, but to achieve at this level, we need to be much more active. So that almost sounds like active not in the sense of bringing players in, but player, moving players on as well. Something that we've spoken about a lot on this podcast. And again, in the press conference ahead of the Motherwell game today, Ange was asked about whether or not the World Cup break would give him an opportunity to work on January transfers. And he said that the January transfer work is essentially done already and that uh, the World Cup break will be the summer transfer window next week, next year. So imagine that as Celtic manager planning ahead and working ahead of the, the current schedule that he's on. So I guess that is positive signs. If you look at it at a purely business and football progression standpoint, where we have a manager here who's planning ahead and planning to move on players at the best possible time and sell them. Probably not the best uh, news. If you're a fan of keeping your really best players at the club, and the players that you like. For me, that sounds a bit like somebody will leave in January, be that Juranovic, O'Reilly, or Jota, any of the three that were linked uh, with moves away already from the club, and Jota not so much since they were he was we were trying to bring him in on the, on the, uh, the transfer market, but O'Reilly and Juranovic were definitely linked with moves away. Can you see that being something that happens in January, or do you think Ange's talking more long-term here? Yeah, no, I think I think it's, uh, it's more about a sort of culture uh, of how to run the club. So, you know, to do this, the whole club's got to be in lockstep in terms of how you arrange your business across the year. And it's really heartening to hear this because it sounds organised, it sounds planned, um, and and I suspect previous managers would have been quite happy would have been quite happy to have adopted the same approach, but they probably weren't allowed to. So it's, it's it's an absolute you know revolution in terms of how Celtic are doing their their business. And hopefully it's something which isn't dependent on Postacogli being in the building. It's something which, you know, we 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 is repeatable and is a is a way of working um that is almost agnostic of who the manager actually is, right? So um in terms of you know, it's, you know, if James were here, he would be one hundred percent behind this. In terms of, you know, sell, you know, buy low and sell high, essentially. And you know, although none of us can take sentiment out of it, um, if you want to grow the club and get better players, then you, you're going to have to make money. And although the Champions League is 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 nice, we've seen how precarious that is, what difficult either journey it can be, or how difficult it can be when you get there, and then you know the vagaries of coefficient points and how long will Scotland have a um, automatic place you know we don't know if, 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 if all the teams perform like they did last season then that's not going to last very long um, mm-hmm. Hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So you've got to be able to have this the only other way to and you know, Celtic have already got very good commercial deals. I'm sure that people can say they might do a little bit better on that. But in terms of really pushing the dial forward of bringing more money into the club and raising the profile, it's it's having a, a, a history and a tradition of providing richer clubs with good players. And if you've got that reputation, then people are going to be interested in in your players. And I think Celtic have got a pretty good reputation in that regard. Um, but it's it's been kind of a, it's been you know we have had. We have genuinely had a player trading model, I think, for about probably eight to ten years, as opposed to something that you talk about but never do. We've, I think, we have actually had one, and it, it's and it's been it's been the case that we, if if we don't do well in Europe, then we generally sell a big name. So, so generally speaking, one big name a year. If it's if we don't do well at all, there might be one or two that that, that go. I think what Angie's saying is you need to be even more proactive than that. So it's not using player trading as a way to, to again, and this was all low ball really. Low ball was about the bottom line and what did that look like. So if it looked like you weren't going to break even at the end of the year, then you sell a player. What mm. what Postacoglu is saying is you sell players to grow the club. That's that's very different. It's a completely different way of looking at it. You know, the, the bottom line will take care of itself in that regard because that, that will look good. But you but you, you, you your focus should be on growing the, the club and on, on getting better players in. And that may be, mean being taking uncomfortable decisions for, for us in terms of selling players that we think we haven't seen enough of or you know we really love or whatever. Um, you know, but if if the offer's too good to be true, um, you know, you've got to look at the the, the optimum price point. In terms of how old that player is, how many years have they got left on the contract, etc., and then try and work. You know, obviously, then you've got to have a demand for that player. So, 
all these things require a lot of management and a lot of uh, time and a lot of effort to work through. But I think, you know, with the increasing, we seem to be making smart decisions in the transfer market. Um, and, you know, the, the recruitment of Abogor, um, of Haksabanovic from Ruben, uh, I, be, I believe, you know, for a lot less money than what was said in the press. Um, you know, this looks like this Kobayashi is effectively going to be a free transfer. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, a, he's a reasonably highly rated young centre-back, 22 years old, so another sort of good age profile. I know James wants more teenagers in. Um, I, I, I think this 22, 23-year age profile is, is a good one for Celtic to start with because it's, there's enough history there, enough data um, to, to show you that you can have confidence. But also there's a sweet spot that we seem to be um, hitting, which is players who've had a big move, it's not worked out, and this is like their, their, their second chance at a big club. And I think that's 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 that sounds very specific, but I suspect you know there's a lot of players that are in that bracket, and and that's mm. that's a, that's not that's not a bad market to sort of be fishing around in a, on, on the sort of buying side. Well, on that, Virgil Van Dijk did the over uh, what's a what's that show called? Gary Neville, um, the something uh, it's called. He, he where he talks to these guys. Anyway, Virgil Van Dijk was on and he spoke about his his move to Celtic, and he wasn't a young guy really if you're if you're talking about the scale that we work on with with James and myself and and yourself on this show and he said that it was it was amazing that he came in and you're at a giant club and he didn't realize that until he got here but he very soon realized how big Celtic are in terms of the fan base and the level that they're playing at when they're in the Champions League and the experience you get that definitely helps you going in and I think if you're talking about where we're looking to sell our players to, it's probably still England, unfortunately, but they're looking for guys who are ready for first team football, not guys who are, are developing. If, if they're not, if, if they're not bringing in their own teenagers, they're looking for 23, 24, 25 year olds with first team experience. And so I think if what I'm just talking about here is not the, is not sort of doing anything different to what we're what we're doing already. I think it's like you're, what you're saying, just doing it a lot quicker because we've undercut ourselves a lot over the last ten years. And I think that's it is down to what you're saying. It is down to Lawwell's mindset. It's not really about growth. It was more about just steadiness and securing the the club. And maybe that comes from where where he took the club from in a very unstable position and, and steadied the ship over the long well, course of uh, yeah, I mean, well, it was, it was sixteen an, years or so. It was an accountant's perspective versus, if I can call it, like a football director's perspective. Who's thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, strategy and the long-term development of the of the club and the team. And I think that's the difference. I mean, it's interesting what you say about Van Dyke because I think to to use the examples of Van Dyke and Wanyama, um, Celtic will not be buying players like that again. <laughs> as long as football is structured the way it is, we won't be buying players like that ever again because. Wanyama was a relative. I think he was twenty. Well, yeah, Wanyama was I think nineteen twenty, playing in the Belgian league, and um, Van Dijk was I think twenty two, and he was part of a Groningen team in the Netherlands that finished about fifth in the league, which is for them. I mean, they're, they're rarely in the top division, uh, and so mm-hmm. to finish fifth was a fantastic season. If those, if that, if those two players were in that same scenario today, they would have be they'd be at Salzburg by the time they were eighteen, right? And, and that and that would have cost them, and that would have been for like ten plus million. We can't we can't operate in that market at the moment. So that that that's changed utterly, and that will not happen again. 
you know, there's always exceptions. We might get lucky with a player. But we're more likely to pick up a player on the cheap, like a, a Carter Vickers or a Yota, who's been to a big club, hasn't quite made it into the first team, is still young, still hungry, wants to prove themselves, wants to come and, and show what they can do on a on a big stage. That, I think, is a much more realistic um, sort of um, profile, if you like. Mm-hmm. The Overlap is the name of that show, by the way. I, I knew it was over <laughs> never, something. but never I never heard of it. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's, it is really good. You get, you get sort of insights into players okay. like Van Dyke, for example, who are more open with past players for some reason than they are with journalists. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd take, take a look at that if you're interested in mm-hmm. former Celtic players. But I, I think for, for me, I guess, Kieran Tierney is the ultimate example of the mindset change that Celtic fans need to undergo and will need to get used to over the next couple of years because Kieran Tierney is a player who I I think he still should have went for more, but look, he went for what he went for. But that's the level of fee that Celtic need to be demanding over the next couple of years for the players if they want to make the progressions that Ange spoke about in the Champions League. And Celtic fans really need to get their head around the fact that they cannot hound every player that moves out of the club to another club in the Premier League if they want to progress because I, I, I frankly thought the treatment of Kieran Tierney was ridiculous because of course he was going to take the job. Anybody would have taken that job in his position and ultimately, it, it, eventually, it, it really does not really come down to him if Celtic can get an offer for that fee. They're not going to reject it. So um, it was a move that happened. He was hounded for it. I thought he shouldn't have been hounded for it and Jota's probably going to move. O'Reilly's probably going to move. These younger players who are, who are at the club are coming to develop and eventually be sold on. That is not just a player's decision to develop their career. That is also the club's decision. That's why they're bringing them to the club in the first place. They're bringing them in to get the best out of them as they possibly can for the short period of time that they have and then sell them on. So I think we really need to do get our heads around that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you, if you want to get value, and we've seen with Yota and Carter Vickers, if you want to get decent value, then you're really looking at a sort of price point around about 10 million, maybe just under. Um, Celtic aren't going to be spending a lot, or never have spent more than that, really, and uh, aren't going to be in a position to do that. So if you're going to do that, yeah, then you need to have, you know, and, 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 you know, so let's look at a model. So a model is a simplification, right? But if you had a 25 million player every transfer window and you could bring in three 8 million players, you know, that's that's the sort of thing that, that I think, and I'm not saying that's precisely what we'll do, but I'm saying that's the kind of model that we need to, to move to if we want to actually grow the team. Because, you know, I, I hope it was obvious to everybody on Wednesday, the absolute chasm the absolute chasm in quality between Real Madrid and Celtic players. Um, you know, it, it was it was just, you know, and yes, we were brave. Yes, we were on the front foot. Yes, we created lots of chances. But they nearly scored virtually every single time they went into, you know, near our box. Right? Um, and, 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 and you just look at the profile of the players. And, and you know, and I'll, I'll use, and people might think this is an unfair comparison, but th- three players that, on each side, that I think are a, a decent comparator. Okay, so you look at the you look at the lad that came on for them at right back, uh, Lucas Vasquez. Okay, I don't know a lot about Lucas Vasquez. All I know is what I saw the other night. He's small and he's quick. We've got Greg Taylor, equal size. So Greg Taylor, as we all know, runs his heart out, will run all day, and, and is desperate to improve as a footballer. But he'll never have that searing pace that Lucas Vasquez has. So so Real Madrid are, are willing to trade off, not having a big 
sent you know right back or full back because he, this guy's got these physical attributes that more than compensate for it. I mentioned Asensio and Valverde, right? Two players that are still young. One's, I think, Asensio, I know he seems like he's been around forever. He's only 26. Mm -hmm. Valverde's only 24, okay? Um, they're both six foot, right? They're both really quick. They're both physically strong, and they both run all day. <laughs> and, and they're both excellent technical footballers. Now, you compare that to Matt, Matt O'Reilly and, and David Turnbull. They're both six foot. They're both technically very good footballers, but they're a bit slow and they're not that physical. That's what I'm talking about. It's not just, you know, we've got good footballers, but you, to, to get to that level and compete, you've got to have the full package of physicality, um, physical intelligence, as well as football intelligence and, um, you know, technical ability as well. And that's a really, really tough thing. Uh, to pull together, as I said to you, the, you look at that Leipzig front line. They're all six foot. They're all strong. They're all really quick, and they're all brilliant technically. That's that's what these clubs uh, are buying when they're buying the 17, 18 year olds, and some of them won't make it, obviously. But um, so we need to. We, there's a huge physicality and um, physical deficit in our team, uh, as a minimum. It doesn't mean to say we have to go out and buy pure athletes that aren't technical. We've got to try and find a way to attract players that have got that full package. Otherwise, we're never going to make a dent in the Champions League. Mm -hmm. Valverde is also an interesting... Asensio and Valverde are two interesting oh, uh, examples to use. Yeah. Because uh, both of them... Asensio was out of the team for a large, large, large chunk of his uh, Real Madrid career. And Valverde was almost a lost cause until last year. So it also does show you that the player that you want isn't always necessarily someone that you bring in. It could also be a player who, uh, like Anthony Ralston at right back, I'm not saying he's as good a Valver as Val Valverde, but what I'm saying is these players can progress. They can improve. They can uh, get better when it comes to uh, coaching and, and positioning and, and learning the game and learning how to make themselves better. So we'll, we'll wait and see. It, it's it's a very, very interesting period for Celtic and Celtic's history and where they're going to be standing in world football in the next couple of years. And we'll see what happens if Ange Postacoglu does leave the club in the next couple of years because God knows what will happen then. But we, we'll leave that and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, cross that bridge when it eventually comes. We do have a game tomorrow night. Motherwell away. It's the second last game before the World Cup break. Uh, Celtic have already beaten Motherwell this season and one of the times it was not as easy. The second time it was much easier. Um, third time lucky, what are we expecting from Celtic So uh, next or tomorrow night? So I, I would expect probably another couple of changes, maybe not seven changes from the team at the weekend, but five or six. Well, yeah, I, I think it'll be, he'll go as strong as he can. Uh, I think, you know, he's got two games left to really, Secure, you know, cement a sort of seven-point lead at the top of the table, which I think will be a, a huge um, bonus for everyone, or a huge, a great position for the club to be in going into that that break. So, um, I think hopefully the the sort of the, the the lethargy and any sort of slight despondency, if I can not use that word, I felt after the sort of hammering in, in Madrid will, will have been shaken off. Bit of euphoria after the, the the last minute sort of win at the weekend. I expect us to fully go for it. Now Motherwell have been a team that we kind of like playing recently. They've I know they've changed managers, but they've still got this kind of four three three feel to them, and they're quite easy to play through for Celtic. Um, they do have 
they, they are, if you look at the stats for the season, they look like they're going to be sort of solidly either the fifth or sixth best team in the league. Um, you know, they're not really quite threatening. I mean, I know Aberdeen and Hibs' results are up and down, but their num- underlying numbers suggest they're the, probably the second, third best team in the in the league. Hearts probably just below that. Motherwell are kind of the best of the rest in that regard, the best of the sort of smaller teams, if you like. Um, they do have a good attacking threat. They do get relatively um, their XGs by the fourth or fifth highest in the league. The number of shots they have similar. Um, so, the, so the the decent. I think you know they they do rely on set pieces. Uh, the, their their set piece expected goals is higher than anyone else's in the league, actually. So that's that's again you know that's going to be a, a concern. They do probably take too many shots from outside the box more than what they should. And that probably what explains some of their shot volume, which is quite high. And then defensively, you know, they're a little bit they're a little bit on the wrong end of their expected goals at both ends. Maybe a little bit of bad luck there. Nothing, nothing major. So you know, this is going to be again, it's going to be a tricky game. But it's a team that I think the way that we play, we get through the lines quickly. I think because they don't have a lot of mobility really in the mid- middle of the park. Especially, they tend to go for grafters. Players that want to try and sort of you know make contact, as Robbie Nielsen says, and that sort of thing. But if we're if we're quick, we we tend to find we can play through them, and then they tend to like quite big, big big defenders that we can move around. So it's a team that I think profiles quite well for us. As I say, the only mm-hmm. the only thing is they are probably the, the most effective at set pieces in the league. So we need to watch that. Yeah, I just want to clarify something because there's a couple of comments going in about O'Reilly. Um, we're not saying O'Reilly is a bad player. We're just saying he's not Federico <laughs> Valverde or Marco Asensio good. He's he's a very very good player. Trust me. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, the point the point the point was, you know, if you look at O'Reilly, and this is true of of, of, of a huge number of professional footballers. If you look, if you look at Matt O'Reilly, Matt O'Reilly has got top top end. You know, um, I would say mental. Um, you know, uh, football intelligence skills in terms of his the speed of brain movement. He's got um, you know excellent technical abilities in terms of you know awareness, um, touch, first touch, body positioning, body shape, etc. But he's he's not very quick, right? Mm. And 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 if if you want if you want to play for Real Madrid, you need to have all the things that O'Reilly's got, and you need to be strong, and you need to be fast. That's that's the point that we're trying to make here. Yeah, and that's a tough. That's a yeah, tough. That's a tough market. Yeah, we're we're definitely not saying that uh, that Matt O'Reilly <laughs> no. is a bad player. No, definitely yeah. not. And um, just finally on the Motherwell game, you mentioned the sort of the get stuck in mentality that's been uh, shittered around over the last couple of weeks about <laughs> from several different opposition managers when it comes to Celtic. Surely, for me, I don't I don't know. This I guess this comes down to a a broader discussion on what you want to do against a team like Celtic you can't do one or the other. You can't have some players getting stuck in and diving into challenges and, and being aggressive and going man to man and then have other players sitting back. So I guess that's the the mixture that Motherwell are hoping to avoid tomorrow night because I guess if you think back to the, the Scottish uh, Cup semi-final or quarter-final that we played them in, the 4-0 game, it was very much that where they were playing a low block, a tight defense trying to be solid and then you had their midfield players diving into challenges and trying to nick the ball back and and, and break but that just opens up um, that just opens up space for Celtics players when they play through it inevitably like Matt O'Reilly does tend to do yeah I mean it's 
I, I, I don't want to be sort of critical or come across as being, you know, dismissive of teams like Motherwell or, or St Mirren or what have you. Of course, you're going to play that way. I mean, it's 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 the best way to frustrate Celtic. You you know, you put men behind the ball. You will be compact. You will sort of, you know, um, shrink the space between the lines. You will tell your ball boys to go and sit in the stand. You know, you'll do everything you can to, to disrupt momentum, slow the game down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You'll try and make the game an arm wrestle as opposed to a, a free flowing contest. I mean, there's many ways to play football, and if you don't have, if you're not a club that can, you know, fill your team with silky footballers, then of course you're gonna you're gonna do that. I mean, Celtic have tried to take on Real Madrid at a style of football that only the most elite clubs in Europe play, right? And you know, we, we, frankly, it's it's been half. It's been I would say a third successful in the sense that we've created a lot of chances, but we haven't taken them. But we've given we've given up a shed load. You know, we're nearly five xg. Uh, away to Madrid, we've conceded five goals. It could have been eight. Uh, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Because I've said to you before, I did an article on this, is that the risk with the absolutely elite teams is once they get to 2xG and above, it could be six, it could be five, six, seven, because their their high-end finishing is, is better than yours. And um, mm. once that momentum's there and you start to lose shape and discipline and heart, then the goals could just rack up very quickly, as we saw. You know, it was one every ten minutes in that second half, and it, you know, at five nil, it looked like it could be eight nine. So, you know, similarly, if Motherwell set out to play like Celtic did in the Bernabeu, then I would, I would, I would expect us to win five one. You know what I mean? Frankly, if they tried to do that, so of course they're going to play like that. I mean, it makes complete sense. I think, I think that. It's just this emphasis on Scotland that you know that's all you sort of focus on that 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 is your strategy. It's like what I would hope that Motherwell are also doing because to me I would take it for granted that your players are going to run around a lot, try really hard, concentrate, be be vocal, be committed, etc. What I would we be to thinking about with them over the week is how are we going to score a goal? <laughs> what are we what are we mm-hmm. going to do in these moments when we are in the final third? How are we going to get into the final third? That's the that's the coaching. That's that's coaching a football team, not telling them, oh, you know, you need to get tight, you need to get first contacts and all this bollocks. And that to me that's just yeah. like minimum standards. It's minimum standards, right? It's it's bare minimum stuff. It is bare yeah. minimums. Like if 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 you don't have players that are willing to put in a shift uh, to use that term, then they're going to get destroyed anyway. So, I mean, it, it is bare minimum stuff. Uh, I would say now, to give them credit, there's probably more going on uh, behind the scenes and they're just giving the political answer that they think is is just going to, you know, fill the lines that the journalists need to fill in their papers or on the, the space in the radio. So, look, we'll wait and see uh, what goes on tomorrow night. I think I'm going to go with a Celtic victory, potentially even could be a 10-point gap at the top of the table by the World Cup break. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I think John Beaton will have something to say about that. <laughs> to, get back, to get back to our previous theme. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's, I'll be confident for tomorrow. As I say, I think it's a good matchup for us in terms of the way that Motherwell play. I think, you know, we, we, we've, we've been pretty consistent. We've had... You know, the St. Mirren game was it was a bit of a shock. We've had a, had, a, had a few frights. You're going to get that, right? I mean, Real Madrid lost to Real Vallecano on the, the weekend. These things do happen, right? Um, 
but uh, I think I think it'll be it'll be fully focused. There's no distractions now. It's just two games to go. Um, everybody apart from McGregor pretty much is fit, so it should be all guns blazing. I think uh, tomorrow night. So looking forward mm. to it. Not that I can get not that I can get to watch it anywhere, of course. So thanks Sky TV oh, for that one. Yeah, yeah. There's a that God that that's a, another discussion altogether. But they have practically no football on tomorrow night at all to show, uh, and uh, they're still not uh, showing it. So and they don't they don't even don't show, show the do. full. They don't even show the number of games they've contractually bought. That's 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 the other astonishing thing about it. And I think Motherwell are charging something like seventeen quid to watch. You can watch it on their pay per view for seventeen quid. Mm-hmm. The beauty of Scottish football, huh? It's just, it's Alan. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, look, that's probably us for this evening on the Huddle Breakdown. Like I said, we will try and do a review of that game that nobody's going to be able to watch tomorrow night. Um, we'll, I'm sure most people will find a way if you're not going down to the game. Um, then you'll probably find a way on his goal or on IPTV or something. But um, hopefully we get to watch some of it at least and we'll be able to touch on that with a full trio on Thursday night with James back in the mix as well. Alan, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Ender. And thanks to everybody who is commenting and still commenting. Keep the comments coming underneath the channel. And if you are not subscribed to the channel and you want to get the video, get the huddle breakdown, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel by hitting subscribe below and get notified every time a video goes live. And if you want to catch the podcast later on, then you can get that on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast as well. Until Thursday night, we'll chat to you later. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> it's all about the game! And how you play it? It's all about control! And if you can take it, it's all about your death! And if you can play it, it's all about pain! And who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy death, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may lose So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, son, or I don't dread me don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.